0: Sorry that my microphone was on a minute ago and I didn't know that. I don't even know if anybody, everybody else heard it, but a couple people did, so that was me. My bad. Uh, good to see everybody this morning. Man, I want to say a huge thank you to uh, the Fleeps and the Curtises and the Bonners and Reed Pool and hope I'm not missing anybody, people that came out yesterday to participate in Elrod Deck Demo Day. Um, it was a success. We destroyed a deck in our backyard that has needed to be torn down for about six years, and it was disgusting. I hope there are no medical bills that are attached to that later. Um, thank you guys for helping us out. Uh, today, we are in week two of the series that we kind of kicked off virtually last week in First John. Um, man, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really excited about walking through First John. It's kind of one of those books like uh, that I've been able to kind of hang out in for a while just in my Christian life, and it's It's so neat because we talked about last week, if you missed last Sunday, you can go back and kind of catch it on YouTube and Facebook. It was about 11 and a half minutes, so that's right up some people's alley. Uh, I wish I could do that today, but I can't. Um, But we just kind of talked about what John is going to do is he's going to lay out uh, these indicators. And, you know, I showed fly fishing indicators on the video and my wife immediately said, those are not Those are called bobbers. And so, anyway, in fishing terms, in fly fishing, everything's elitist, okay? So they're not called bobbers, okay? We're not fishing with corks. They're indicators. They cost more, but they do the same thing. But anyway, it's all about just this little piece of foam or yarn or whatever you choose to put above your fly that's below the surface. And as it drifts down, that fly is below the surface, so you can't see what it's doing. Uh, But that indicator drifts down. And if it does anything odd or peculiar, if it goes from side to side or goes under or backwards or forward, then you know that something under the surface is occurring. Something is happening. And when you're watching the current leaves and everything or floating down in debris, but but when that indicator does something that is different from the current, then something peculiar is happening. Something strange has happened. In the context of Christianity, like we are called to be counter cultural. We are called to be counter current because we're being set apart from the world. So we're not going to drift the same way that the leaves and the debris drift as it goes down the current of this life. And so what John is going to do is he's going to toss out uh, in the form of if-then statements several of these indicators. Today in uh, the, the five, six verses that we're going to look at, there's going to be five of those kind of if-then statements. Um, and he's going to th- he's going to start, before I, before we get into it, He's going to start and he's going to set off uh, with a theological idea. Like he's going to talk theology first. And these aren't words that we talk about a whole lot in the context of teaching here. But theology is just simply theos being God, ology the study of. He's going to start with a theological premise. And then from there, he's going to go into what we would consider to be doctrinal. Or because of what we believe, this is what we do. Uh, because if we're reading scripture for just theology and it's not affecting our personal and our, our corporate doctrine, then it is useless to a degree. And so, this passage, I want to go ahead and say that it could be two different things for you. One, it could be very affirming. Uh, it could affirm who you are, who you know, what has occurred in you. Um, but to be honest, it could also be um, it could be convicting, or you could feel like it's an attack on you. Okay. Um, here, here's a giveaway that I want to tell you. Uh, scripture very often can be very comforting but at the same time scripture can also be painful and it can create just like unrest in me at a, at a at a soul level and it's supposed to like god is going to use scripture through his spirit to convict me of sin to point me in ways that i'm wrong and bring me back to a place in which repentance is necessary and i can come back in line with god and his desires and his will and so this passage could do both of those things or one of those things for you it could affirm where you are Or it could tell you that you're not where you need to be, that you're not in a good place. Both of those are okay today. Both of those are necessary in the life of a believer. And that's the point of pretty much this letter that John wrote kind of to this uh, Ephesus area, but also the churches around Ephesus, because he wanted them to know with the same certainty that he's writing from that you too can have the same fellowship with God and one another that I am assured of. Last week, he went into his qualifications. He's like, I can teach this or tell this or convey this to you because I've walked with Jesus, I've lived with Jesus, I've been with Jesus. And so I'm speaking to you from that place. And so if you have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen as well. First John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. And so, again, depending on your attitude, passage could feel like an indictment or it could feel like an affirmation. And, and there is the reality that it could feel a little bit like both to a degree today. Uh, we're going to read verses 5 through 10, and then we're going to go back through and just uh, talk about those a bit. Let me pray and kind of come down off my caffeine buzz this morning, and, um, and then we'll dive in. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that your word does. It affirms who we are, but it also convicts us when we're off course, uh, that it points us to the need of repentance. It points us to the need of forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, God, today, I pray that both of those things will occur. Uh, in the life of believers, God, I pray that this passage would uh, indicate in us that, uh, yes, some things have gone very well, that you are alive, your grace is real, thank you for faith, thank you for forgiveness, but maybe in some of us too, that maybe it would just point out that we are not where we need to be. God, for people that are listening today, that are here or that are, uh, that are on their couches or wherever they may be, and they are not united with you, they do not have fellowship, family with you as a result of by grace through faith. Uh, God today I pray that you would speak to them I pray that your spirit would convict them I pray that your spirit would point them to the need for Jesus and only Jesus and God you would move them to respond to your gospel only your gospel and God we thank you that you are sufficient we thank you that you're worthy of our worship and God we thank you that you're mighty to save it's in your name we pray so chapter 1 verses 5 through 10 It says, John speaking from a a group perspective, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us or is cleansing us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he starts off with this theological idea very simply in verse 5 and he says, this is the message that we have heard from him speaking of Jesus and now we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So... A.W. Tozer in the book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy, probably one of my favorite books because it's it's short, but it's also incredibly convicting. Uh, In his very first chapter, he makes this statement, and he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself, and the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And so... All of our doctrine, all of our practice, all of our action, the way that we respond to adversity, the way that we respond to to good times, bad times, the way that we love, the way that we serve, the way that we do all of these things, it all comes back to this central idea and this central question as to what do we think about God? Like who is God to us? Uh, In the rest of this book, Tozer lays out kind of a theological framework of, of what it means to know God, who he is, what do we do in response, what he's like, what we are like in response. And so for us, like, there is this central question, like, if we are seeking to follow Jesus, we need to be able to answer that question. And we also need to be able to answer that question as we grow and as we go, as we follow Jesus, because it's going to evolve and it's going to grow. Um, It doesn't mean that that what we thought earlier was wrong necessarily, but it means that maybe it was incomplete, but it could also mean that what we thought earlier was wrong. And so when we are seeking to follow after Jesus, we need to think clearly about who God is and what he is like, because everything is going to flow out of that. It is the most important thing. Tozer even uses the word portentous, which is probably a word that I would never use in day-to-day vocabulary, but it's just, it is of massive importance, the most important. And so he starts here in verse 5. He says that uh, this is the message that we had heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so we're going to go ahead and get this image of God. In the book of John, we're going to hear a couple statements like this, that God is this. In this particular place, it's God is light. Later, we will hear that God is love. And so when we hear that God is light, like I think our mind probably goes to the first question, well, what does that mean? Uh, One author puts it very simply. He says, this message is that God is completely, unreservedly, absolutely holy with no admixture of sin, no taint of iniquity, and no hint of injustice. And so what we need to understand quickly from a theological perspective is that God is like good. And by good, I don't mean just like "Mm, good, but like best good. Ultimate good, as it pertains to justice, as it pertains to love, as it pertains to holiness, as it pertains to righteousness, as it pertains to wisdom, as it pertains to all matters in life. God is best, highest in all regards. Like if we just thought well on that, and we didn't get a chance to see Jesus, uh, we would come out, come away with an understanding that there is no chance for me to know this God. There's no chance. Because he is that high, he's that lofty, he's that, in the words of Isaiah, high and lifted up, out of reach. God is this, he's light. And in him, like, it's important to understand that not only is he the best, but there's, there's no hint of the bad. There's no hint. Like, he says that uh, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Like, for us, I think it's difficult for understand, to understand, like, the purity that God represents, like the, the inability to be corrupted, incorruptible, like we, we're never going to see that here. Like while we're walking, talking, breathing in this life, in flesh, even with the Spirit in us, to see incorruptible is going to be a very abstract thing for us. Now, praise God, we will get to see the incorruptible if we've been united with God through Jesus, uh, but it's not here yet. And so he's, he's going ahead and he's starting with this theological idea that God is light and in him no darkness at all. And so from there, several ideas are going to flow out. The very next verse, um, and by the way, like, it used to bother me that John did not describe this any better. Like, it used to irk me a little bit, because I wanted to know, what, what does this mean? Like, what, is it, what do you mean when you say that? But I think, I think that's part of the, the process of learning to follow Jesus and get to know God like I think these are blanks that we need to grow and fill in as we go like what does it mean that God is light And in him is no darkness at all and it doesn't mean that the answer is subjective but it means that the answer is big it's broad it's very all-encompassing and we need to be able to grow into this knowledge of what God looks like and so he goes on after this theological idea the first if-then statement that he makes in verse 6 he says after knowing that God is light and in him is no darkness at all verse 6 If we say we have fellowship with him or union with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. And so the first if-then statement or the conditional statement that he makes is if this, then not this. He says if we say that we walk with him, that we have fellowship with him, the word is going to be quantania like family, the same way that we are described as family, that is made uh, into the image of the Trinity to a degree in the way that they have union. Uh, If we say that we have that, yet we don't walk in his light, then we're liars. We're liars. Inflammatory language right out of the gate from John. Like going to the church, nobody likes to be called like a liar. Like in me, there are some things in me that, that create a very fleshly response very quickly. Like if I get hit in the head with anything, like whether it's a, an errant ball or a fist or anything, like I immediately go like, I, I get angry, like fast. Like I don't know what it is. It just flips a switch. If someone calls me a liar, same thing like the flesh part of me like it wants to fight. Like, you know, I immediately go back to possum kingdom roots and I'm just like, "All right, let's fight. Let's do it. Let's let's throw down." You know, same kind of thing. For anybody, that's the case to be called a liar. But this is what he's tossing out in the very beginning after saying that God is light, there's no darkness at all. He says, "If you say that you walk with God, live with God, have union with God, yet you are not walking in his light, you're in darkness, you're a liar. You're not." And so, automatically, it creates tension right here. I think the best way for us to illustrate this without trying to dissect what this means to be in light is that, um, imagine, like for me, I'm quite a pasty guy. And so, for me to say that, that I've been in the sun, that I've, I've been out, I've been on the beach, there's going to be some evidence of that, generally, most of the time now, I'm getting old, and I wear long sleeves now, and I cover up every part of my body because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like Casper, the friendly ghost, unless you hit me in the head or call me a liar. But, you know, I'm, I'm like Casper, and so if I've been in the sun, chances are there's going to be markers of that because my melanin is going to get very red. I'll probably slough off like a leper later. Like, the sun has effects on me. Like, it reveals itself to other people, not just me. If we say that we have been in the light, people will know. And we should know. Sometimes it's not just the fact that you're sunburned, but like there's a huge difference between walking in the daytime and walking at night. The daytime affords us certain things. We can see the path. We can see treachery. We can see danger. We can see good. We can see bad. When we walk in the light, there are, there are good things that are afforded by that. We get to see. And not only do we get to see, but we get to be seen. Like as a result of walking in this light, like there's evidence of that. Like it's it's just... It should be obvious. We can't say that I have union with God, yet walk around in the darkness, bumping into things. He said if you, if you say that you're with God, then you have to be walking in the light that he has created, that he is. In other words, we should be reflecting who God is. Like all of those things that God is, like he's perfectly holy, he's perfectly just, he's perfectly righteous, he's perfectly loving, he's all of those things. I can't be those perfectly, but I should be a reflection of those things. Like it should be coming out of me at some level to some degree. And the longer that I'm in the light, the more those things should be coming out in me. The longer you've been following Jesus, the longer you've been in the light, the more you should be able to reflect the source. He throws out there quickly, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He says, If you say that you're with God, yet you're not reflecting the things of God, You're not with God. Pretty clear indicator right out of the gate. And this is one of those indicators that it's not positive, it's negative. James would tell us that faith without works is dead. He would tell us that talk is cheap. The word here is it doesn't matter what you say if it's not what you do. Because what you say is a lie if it's not what you do. And so for some of us, I think we hear that and we think we're, I think we can sit back and we can be okay. We're like, okay, that's not me. That's not me. But for others of us, I think we need to hear it and understand that if we say that we have union with God, that we are walking in light with God, man, we should start to look like his heart. We should be reflecting the very nature of who he is. If we are not, something's amiss. Something is wrong. Chances are we're not with God. We'll get back to that. Contrasting that in verse 7, he gives kind of an idea, in opposition to it. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. It cleanses us of all sin. So the second if-then statement that we see is that, in contrary to the first, if you say it but you're not, then, then there's a problem. But this one, if you say that you're with God and you are truly walking in the light, one of those proofs, one of those proofs is going to be fellowship with each other. Family with each other. And this is the reason, like we've said it before, and I know it it may sound controversial, but I don't think that it's possible for us to follow Jesus alone. I don't think that it's possible from a a practice standpoint to follow Jesus alone, but I don't think that it's possible for us to follow Jesus alone as a result of his salvation. Like I don't think it's a, a part of me anymore to be an isolated Christian. Like supernaturally, there are changes that occur in us as a result of by grace through faith that we didn't bring about, that we didn't make, that God makes supernaturally. Very often it feels like a passive change to me because I didn't do it. One of those is our status has been changed from sinner to saint. Our eternal status has been changed from separated from God to united with God for eternity. The other things that happen, number one, we are able to hear from God. Big deal. Number two, we are made into family. I, don't, I think that that's a supernatural occurrence that really, to some degree, I have no control over. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating me. He has taken us from when we were strangers and aliens to one another, and now he's grafted us in and made us family. I really don't believe that uh, spiritually it is possible for us to walk around as solitary Christian beings. I don't know that it's, it's possible. Now, can we be in active rebellion and sin and run from community, run from family? Yes, but there should be conviction on our part that's occurring in us that says, this is wrong, this is not right, come back. In this particular place, it says, if we walk in the light, if we are reflecting what God is shining, we will have fellowship with one another. We will have family with one another, cause and effect. Jesus being the cause, the effect being family. The same grace, like if we read Romans, like the Abba Father kind of an idea, the same grace that binds us to God as dad, binds us together as brothers and sisters. And we are brought into that out of where we were, separated, strangers, aliens. Now we've been brought into a family and been made strangers and aliens to the rest of the world, but we're placed there. We didn't walk there. It's a result of Jesus. And so... Cause, Jesus, walking in his light, effect, we have fellowship with one another. Second thing is this, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we are walking in the light, yes, we have fellowship with one another, and as a result of this, by grace through faith transaction, all of my wrongdoings, by even compared to the light of God, they're being cleansed, they're being taken care of. And the, the, the deal that we look at here is it's being taken care of, it's active, like it's continually going on being cleansed. Not you were cleansed, it's done, but you are being cleansed. And so that will confront um, an issue that comes up with this passage in just a second. And so we, we see two ideas, and they're, they are, they're, they're counter to one another. If you say that you walk in the light, yet you're not really there, then you're a liar, you're not in the light. But then, contrary to that, if you are in the light, then a couple things are happening. Number one, you've been brought into family. We live in community with each other. Uh, but the second thing is that your sins, which we might not see, they are being taken care of. They are being handled, being cleansed from all unrighteousness. Verse 8 is going to be our next kind of if-then statement. It says, if we say uh, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The preceding verse, some people will very often interpret that to mean that once I come to Jesus, my sin stops. And I've had long arguments with people that said, uh, I have sinned today, so that means that I'm not in fellowship with God. And I'm like, no, where do you get that? They generally point to the preceding verse, verse 7. They say that uh, right there, they'll even quote it. They say that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, which they partake or mean, uh, take to mean that I will sin no more if I'm truly in union with God. The problem is Scripture doesn't attest to that if we look at the rest of it. Number one, Paul even speaks towards the beginning of Romans. He's like, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why can't I do the things I do want to do? He speaks of that war between flesh and spirit. And here, right here in verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So basically right here it says, if you're saying that you're sinless, well, you're lying to yourself. And the truth of what God has revealed is not in you. Now, it's not giving us liberty to go out and sin. It's not giving us license to transgress God's desire and his law, but it is an understanding that we are being cleansed daily because we are still struggling daily. There's still the battle that's in me to, to do what God desires me to do or to go against that, to, to rail against it and follow after another pattern. He says, so uh, if you say that you have no sin, you're deceiving our, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Uh, Romans, again, going back to that of, uh, you know, it lets us know that all have sinned, uh, all have fallen short of the glory, there's none righteous, not one. I think this passage, what it does for me, maybe it does it for you, is it, it levels the playing field for me. Like, it puts us all at the same place. Because I think most of us grew up in, in you know, like the, the high school sports arena or the gym class sports arena, starting in elementary school, going to middle school. I don't even know that they allow this anymore because they, they probably say it damages kids. But like picking for the basketball team, you know, like I, I was never a tall person, believe it or not. I'm not now. And so when it was basketball unit in, uh, in, in gym class, I was generally one of the last ones picked. That may have had to do with the fact that I couldn't play basketball at all. But either way, like there was no level playing field. There were heights and there were gifts and there were all of these things. It was not a level playing field at all. In life, it's hard to find a level playing field, be it socioeconomic, be it ethnic, be it you look good, this other person doesn't, whatever it may be. There's no level playing fields when it comes to life. But here, what this passage does for all people is it levels the playing field. It lets us know that every one of us, the way that we start out and even the way that we continue, every one of us will battle sin no one is immune not a single person it doesn't matter what you've done in life it doesn't matter how many times you've been to church it doesn't matter how many times you haven't been to church every one of us completely level playing field sin is coming after us it came after us from day one and it was unavoidable every single one he says if we say that we have no sin we're liars truth is not in us Because, by the way, Jesus even told us, you're all going to battle. You're all going to struggle. Sin's coming after every single one of you. The the field is just wiped level. We're all starting from the same place. You know, pre-Jesus, we're all starting from this place that we are incapable of actually making a choice to follow God. We're all just, man, we are corrupt and bankrupt from the beginning. Corrupt and bankrupt From the beginning, spiritually ignorant, spiritually deficient, and and woefully unable to save ourselves, starting from the same place. But even as followers of Jesus, like even of those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, brought into union with Him, uh, every one of us, the battle is still there. None is immune, no one is immune. Um, I do believe that as we mature in Jesus and as the Spirit begins to take more and more root over more parts of our life, we are granted the supernatural ability to resist as we mature, but still, sin's coming after every one of us on a daily basis. It's going to knock on our door. Now, granted, we are given the ability to keep the door locked and closed, praise the Lord, but, man, it's, it's coming. It's coming. If you say that it's not, man, you need to wake up. You haven't been listening to the right things. You're you're a liar. I could be a liar if I say sin's not in me. So the field is level. But verse nine, the next if-then statement tells us that grace is good. Because this statement is: since we all understand that we all have sin, if we say we don't, we're lying to ourselves. Verse 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So yes, yeah, sin's coming after everyone. But guess what? Everyone has the same opportunity to say, God, this is what I've done. Forgive me, and He will. In the life of a non believer, this has to occur for salvation. Man, we have to see our sin. We have to see the goodness. And we actually have to confess and say, God, I am a sinner. I want to choose you over my sin. I'm trusting in the life, the death, the words, the resurrection of Jesus to make me right with God. We confess. He forgives. He brings us into family. But in the life of a believer, confession still needs to occur. For the second part of this passage, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As believers, as followers of Jesus, unrighteousness still creeps in. The the playing field is level Sin comes after us all And sometimes we're going to choose sin over Jesus And so the answer is the same We confess, we repent, God cleanses We confess, we repent, God cleanses We do it again We do it again We do it again We do it until Christ returns Because until we're actually going to be unified with him in body And for eternity in that place New heaven, new earth I mean sin's going to knock at our door And when it does and when we open We confess, we repent, God cleanses We confess, we repent, God cleanses. Now hopefully, hopefully, even though the understanding is that I will never be sinless in this life, hopefully as maturation occurs, I will sin less and less. That's the hope and the expectation. But it doesn't mean that sin's not going to knock. It just means that through maturity, through giving over more of myself to God, that he equips me and enables me to sin less, or he equips you and enables you to sin less. But sin's still coming. And when it comes in, we confess, we repent. God cleanses. Verse 10 kind of adds on to this idea of verse 8. It says, if we say that we have not sinned, not only are we a liar, but it goes to inform us a little bit more that we make him a liar and his words are not in us. Because, by the way, Jesus told us we were going to sin. Scripture has attested to us that we are going to sin. It's there. It's there. And I feel like John needed to repeat this to understand that your lack of acknowledgement, yes, it's about you, but it's more than that. It affects your very theology and the practice of such. Because if you say that you haven't sinned, it's not in you, that it's not knocking at your door. Not only are you lying, but you're calling God a liar too. And that's a big deal. That would be called blasphemy. And and there's some pretty heavy implications there. (laughs) So, man, I think a couple things from this passage. Um... Number one, we need to understand that sin is universal. It's universal. It comes after all people. Number one. Number two, I think we need to understand that forgiveness is massive. Forgiveness is massive. Uh, I was talking to, to Neil about just the process that our community groups are going through right now of sharing their stories and, um, and even the idea that some people feel like their story is not very flashy because they came to Jesus at an early age. Um, or that, you know, I was, I was saved at six. Like my story, to be honest, like I grew up in the church um, and my parents were, were God-fearing people and they made sure that we were there all the time, kicking, screaming or not, it didn't matter. Marching up to the third row of that church, even if we were 20 minutes late, which most of the time we were, that was my house. And I have no doubt that God redeemed me at six years old in the hall of our home on the ugly yellow shag carpet. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And for those of us with stories like that, sometimes we think those stories are boring. That grace is not in those stories. But here's the thing. Forgiveness then, forgiveness as an adult. Huge. Massive weight. Like to understand the weight of sin in relation to a God who is pure, light, with no deviation. Forgiveness of even one is weighty enough to break the bank. Forgiveness of one sin is weighty enough to break the bank. But to imagine forgiveness of a lifetime of sin, while before we're following Jesus and even after we're following Jesus, the weight is huge. And to be honest, that forgiveness is entirely necessary for us to even have this this fellowship, this union with God. So we understand sin is universal, but number two, we have to understand that the weight of forgiveness is massive whether it occurred when you were five for the first time or whether it was 25, 45, 75, or 95. It's huge. And it should move us. It should move in us to say, number one, God, thank you for forgiveness. How can I know you better now? like as a result, like understanding, like why is the weight of forgiveness so massive? Number one, it affords us salvation, but number two, it affords us a life of pursuit, a life of hearing from God, a life of following after Jesus. And now our life has changed. The trajectory is different. The outcome is different. Not just my eternity, but my present is being rewritten so that I have a future. And so to understand the weight of forgiveness is massive, and it should move in us not just to worship, but to say, God, what can I know about you tomorrow that I didn't know today? What can I hear about you the day after tomorrow that I didn't hear today? What can I know? What can I do? Who can I be? It makes forgiveness that much greater, that much deeper, that much weightier. I think the third thing that maybe we need to do is maybe we just need to look at the fact that uh, unrighteousness or sin, even in the life of a believer, has crept in. And maybe you just need to be moved with First John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Maybe as a believer, we've allowed a barrier that we're going to call sin to come between us and God that's inhibited our ability to worship, that's inhibited our ability to hear, and maybe we just need to say, God, this is what I've done. Please just take it. Fix it. A Christian that is not repenting is either perfect, which is impossible, or a liar. That's what this passage is saying, by the way. A Christian that's not repenting or being moved to repentance is basically saying, I have no sin in me. So that Christian is a liar and it says that the truth is not in him or her. So what do we do with that? Man, we confess, we repent. We seek for God to restore what's been broken by my transgression, by my sin. Confess, repent for him to restore. And then I think the fourth thing is this. On a day to day basis, and this is not to bring about guilt, this is just self evaluation between us and God. What am I reflecting? Like going back to the very beginning of this, that God is light, and if He's the source, if I am in that light, I should be reflecting that light. That's what walking in the light means, by the way. It doesn't mean that we're a source, it doesn't mean that we're creating light. No, it means that we get to reflect the light that God is. What am I reflecting? Am I reflecting God in the workplace? Am I doing it in my home? Am I doing it in the play spaces, wherever those are for you? Am am I reflecting what God is? And again, that understanding grows as we mature in Christ, but uh, this understanding that God is perfectly holy, He's perfectly loving, He's perfectly just, He's perfectly righteous, He's perfect in all ways. How am I reflecting that, or am I reflecting that? And then we just, again, if we're not, Maybe we need to confess there. Maybe we need to repent there and just say, God, what can I do? Who can I be? Who do I need to be? Man, the kids look at the moon all the time, and we get to talk to them about what the moon actually is, that it's not... It's not luminescent in and of itself, but like last night, we were supposed to see a massive Halloween moon that we haven't seen apparently since like 1936, and the clouds obscured it, but a couple nights previous, we were able just to walk out and see that the moon was huge and bright, and and even, this is the beautiful thing about reflecting God's light, uh, we get to do it in the midst of darkness. Like, I know that sounds cliche and trite, but man, the beauty of God's light can even shine in the darkness like that moon on the darkest night. Man, that moon is not in and of itself capable of shining bright, but what it gets to do is it gets to reflect, man, the luminescent and the bright quality of the sun that we revolve around. Imagine us walking around in darkness, and people get to see the light of Jesus bouncing off of us. We get to reflect the very light from the source. And, and and through that we get to make disciples who call in the name of Jesus, who make disciples who call in the name of Jesus. We get to see people who see their need for Jesus, confess their sins, move their lives from saint—I mean, from sinner to saint, transfer their membership to an eternity without God to an eternity with God. If we just reflect the light from the source in the midst of darkness, it's a huge responsibility. It's one that I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy of. You're not worthy of, but, but Jesus is. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to come up and take up residence in you, make you worthy, so that you can shine brightly in a world that needs to see it. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, even for difficult words that can be convicting, can be encouraging, um, can even be puzzling at times. Uh, I, I pray for our hearts. God, I pray that we would... Um, I pray that we would see how good God really is, that we would see you for how good you really are, Um, and God, it would move us to worship, uh, that it would move us to confess and repent, um, but God, it would move us to reflect who you are in this world that so desperately needs to see it. God, I pray that you would continue to equip us, I pray you would continue to empower us, and God, I pray that people would see you through us and in us, and it would be for your glory. Uh, God, I pray that in this city, that is as beautiful as it is, God, I know that a majority of this city is walking in darkness. We know, just as uh, you tell us that the way is narrow and those who take it are few, and all the research that we can do and statistics that we see, that that nine of ten people every Sunday morning here in this city, in this zip code, uh, God, they're not in a place of worship. They're not with a family who is pursuing you. Father, they need to see you. I pray you would move us uh, to live in your light, Father, so that other people can see it so that other people can see it, so that they can see their sin, so that they can see you as good, confess, repent, and be made one with you like we have. God, continue to guide us, continue to give us a passion for the city, continue to give us a heart for the lost, and continue to drive us uh, to a place to where we depend on you for every bit of it. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.